Masechet Sukkah, Daf Lamed, 30. We, are, uh, we have a lot of important topics, uh, including um, ethical sourcing. When you buy something, how, and you know it's stolen, can you still buy it? What if you're just not sure if it's stolen or not? We're going to come to us together that's relevant for that. But first, yesterday, I by mistake skipped one paragraph, uh, and it's really an essential paragraph. So I'm just going to start with that. And then we'll go on from where we picked up, uh, so from where we left off. So I'm on 29A uh, near the top, and it says here, Amar Rava, bim talalta. Any drinking utensils, cups, glasses, um, they, they should stay in the sukkah. We're talking about that in the sukkah, you should live there like you live in your house and therefore bring out all your fine china, and that includes drinking cups. And let, the, let them stay there because they stay clean, right? You just take a drink, and then you take a drink later, use the same cup or a different cup, whatever, um, but you could leave them out. Uh, they're not disgusting. Whereas, eating utensils, that those are uh, those become dirty and smelly, and therefore you don't want to leave them in. So yeah, while you're eating, you bring it out, but then when they're dirty, take them back inside uh, to, to, to clean. Um, that's one interpretation. Another, uh, uh, another interpretation that could go along with it also is pots and pans, things that you use to prepare the, the food. Those are, are also dirty and not respectful. You don't bring them into your dining room and therefore don't bring in them into your sukkah either. Okay, good. Now, chatzbah v'shachil, um, uh, earthenware jug, wicker basket. Here's an example of one. A wicker basket looks like this. Uh, these items, bar talalta. You should take them outside the sukkah. These are made for drawing water or carrying things. Ushraga bim talalta. Whereas a lamp, a lantern, should remain in the sukkah because you want it there so that it can bring light. So that's for the kavod of the sukkah. The other things are don't belong in the dining room and therefore don't belong in a sukkah. Regarding the lamp, other people say, no, keep it out, the sukkah, out of the sukkah. So which one is it? If it's a large sukkah, then you can keep the lamp in. Small, then don't. What's the reason? Because a lamp, we're talking about after the lamp goes out and then it has an odor, especially if it's made out of clay, um, it gets becomes uh, disgusting. So if it's a if it's a small sukkah, get it out of there because there's no room for it and you're going to smell it. If it's a large sukkah, you can put it on the other side and it's not offensive looking and you won't the smell won't bother you. So it depends if it's a small or a large sukkah. But the other items, drinking vessels, keep in there all the time. Eating you eating vessels that become dirty, pots and pans, keep them out. Okay, that's the sukkah. This is a very relevant sukkah for halacha lemaaseh which is that on Simchat Torah, in Chutz Laaretz, a lot of people, sometimes people say it's nice out and they want to eat in the sukkah. So on Shemini Aseret, on the eighth day of the holiday, we have to eat in the sukkah midra banan because maybe it's still the last day of Sukkot, so we eat there. But on the last day of Simchat Torah, one is not allowed, Baal Tosif, you can't add, the Torah said seven days. Okay, the rabbi said another one, because we're not sure, but the ninth day, Simchat Torah, for sure you can't, you can't add. And if you're going to sit in the sukkah, it looks like you're adding to the mitzvah of the Torah, which is a problem. But what if you want to, because it's nice out, or because you have a lot of people over, and there's a lot more room there. So this comes up uh, many years. And Shulchan Aruch says that if you treat the sukkah, 
in a disrespectful way, then it shows I'm not sitting in the sukkah as a mitzvah, as a, as a, holy, as, as a holy place. Therefore, here's what you should do. Uh, take, um, if it's a small sukkah, bring a lamp out. Or if it's a big sukkah, bring some pots and pans and put them in the sukkah on the last day. So um, uh, I've, I've done that and uh, other people have done that. Uh, so you put a, put a pot or two in the sukkah. Everybody's like, what's this pot doing here? Oh, this shows you're treating it just like a, like a pantry, um, like a kitchen, not like a, like, a, not like a dining room and not with respect. And therefore um, you're showing that you're not, uh, you don't have in mind that you're fulfilling a mitzvah of sukkah, and then it's not, not Baal Tosif anymore. In Israel, they don't have this problem because if they want to sit, um, if they plan want to sit outside, they can just undo something in the sukkah before the holiday uh, starts at the very end of Hoshana Rabbah. But uh, in Chutzlaris, uh, we can't do that because we still have to sit, sit in there on Shemini Aseret. Okay, so uh, now we officially finished the second pedic because we filled that in. And we can return to where we were, which is lulav hagazul vehayavesh. A lulav uh, cannot be stolen or all dried out. And uh, now we're wondering why. Here's a, a, a picture of a lulav that's all dried out. This would not be permitted. And so we're wondering on which day are we talking about, right? Uh, the Mishnah just says it's not allowed. And it sounds like there's no difference between the first day and all the other days. So the Mishnah doesn't say either way if it's talking about the first day or not. We're going to see an opinion that says it's only talking about the first day. But if you just read the Mishnah, it seems like it's talking about all the days. And our question is, why? Uh, so regarding Yavesh, we understand why. The Pasuk says, Piri ayetz hadar. It has to be beautiful. And that applies to all of the four species. If it's dried out, the lulav or any of the four species, it's not beautiful. So you're not fulfilling hadar. And that, that, that applies on all seven days um, of, the, of the holiday. Um, the first day in which it's Deoraita, and the other six days in which it's Derabanan. In the Beit HaMikdash, Mitzvah Vlulav was Deoraita all seven days, because the Pasuk says, Usmachtem lifne Adonai Elohechem Shivat Yamim. Lifne Hashem means in the Beit HaMikdash, and that's seven days. But we're not talking about in the Beit HaMikdash. This Mishnah is talking about for everybody else, regular people, uh, and nowadays, so the first day, uh, is Chayab Deodaita. The rest of the days is Rabbanan. Nevertheless, the word Hadad applies to all, all the seven days. Um, when the rabbis said you have to take it, you have to take it in that way and apply Hadad. So we're good with that. Our question was about Gazul. If you can't, you can't use a stolen Lulav. Well, why not? I mean, I know it's not nice to steal, and that's a separate prohibition, but just because I violated one thing, why should that mean that I can't take that lulav that I grabbed from someone and then go ahead and, uh, and shake it? So, there is, so we understand the first day, because Basuk says, lachem So specifically, on the first day, um, there is a prohibition, there's a requirement, rather, that has to be yours. You have to own it. Not only can it be stolen, you can borrow it from someone, right? It has to be something that you bought or someone gave it to you as a gift. That applies to the first day. But it does not apply to the other six days. So how come the Mishnah says that Dulav HaGazul is prohibited? And it says, doesn't say a time period, so we assume it's all seven days. What is the reason? So we gave an answer already yesterday. And the answer was, it's uh, in the name of Rabbi Shimon, Mishum Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, um, that it is a mitzvah ba'a ba'avera. 
In other words, on the first day, you have a problem of in addition, but on the all, all seven days, you'll have this problem that it's a mitzvah that's coming on the heels of because of a transgression. You wouldn't have the sulat if you didn't steal it. So therefore, you only could do, do the mitzvah because you have it by, by theft. And therefore, that undoes the mitzvah, right? Not only did you violate uh, uh, stealing, you also don't get the mitzvah. What's the source? How do we know that a mitzvah that comes from, by a trans, through a transgression is not even a mitzvah? Well, we learned it from a korban. Uh, Malachi says, says, gazul. God says, you bring me something stolen. We think I want that? It's like bringing me something lame. Now, so now a lame animal is permanently lame. So too, we're talking about a case of, uh, of stealing someone, uh, stealing something, and it's permanently unwanted and no good. At this korban. Now, why should something that you steal be permanently no good? So here's uh, here's a loophole in regarding stealing. If I steal something and um, and uh, the owner gives up on on uh, on finding it, right? Let's say it's some kind of item that's not identifiable. This is true, by the way, for something for losing something. If someone if someone dropped twenty dollar a twenty dollar bill, there's no identifying mark. There's no way to find it. So the person that loses it said, "Oh, I lost twenty dollars. I dropped it." Oh, well, too bad. Once he says, oh, well, right? So then he gives up on finding it. That's called yeush. So finder, that means finder's keepers in that case, right? And the same thing is true with stealing it. Even if I grab a $20 bill from someone, run away, if he has no chance of catching me and gives up yeush, then that's my $20, right? I own it. Um, not, that, not that I have, I still have to give it back. A better example is if you use, I use an item. Um, let's say I steal some wood from someone and uh, right, I take it off his, off his truck, I took, take the wood, I run home and I build a piece of furniture. Now at that point, okay, I'm getting into something else, which is um, uh, Yeush plus a change. I'm just giving a little, little intro about Yeush because it's gonna be relevant uh, as, we come, uh, uh, as we come along. Um, so if I steal some wood, and the guy says, I'm never going to find this guy. Oh, well, too bad. I lost the wood. That's Yeush. Um, so at that point, now I own the wood. So for example, if the guy would come back and say, hey, give me my wood back, I don't have to give it back. I can give him money instead. So I do have to return something, uh, but it could just be money. According to another opinion, not only do I need Yeush, I also have to do something with the wood. If I build furniture out of it, so then there's Yeush, the owner gave up on it, and I changed something about it and turned it into something else. So then, according to all opinions, I would never have to give back that wood. I would have to pay him for the value of the wood, even double uh, of it, but not actually give it back. Okay, so that's the intro. So back to this. What we said yesterday is that if I steal something and the owner did not have Yeush, then for sure I have to give it back. It's not mine. But if the owner did have Yeush, according to one opinion, that's sufficient. And now it's mine. And nevertheless, it's called Gazul and Piseach because just like Piseach, it can never be used. So too Gazul can never be used, not even after Yeush. So the same thing is true uh, here regarding Lulav. If I stole it, whether there's Yeush or not, in other words, whether the ownership transferred to me or not, doesn't matter, I'm not allowed to use it because that's called mitzvah ba'aveda, right? And that's what we learned. So why can't I use it? It's not actually stolen if the owner uh, gives up hope because then it, the item does transfer to me. I have to pay him back, but the item is now mine. So it's not actually stolen. So rather the reason must be 
that um, it's a mitzvah ba'avera. This applies to the animal, not giving it a sacrifice, and also it applies to the lulav, which uh, I can't use even if it's technically um, I transferred into my ownership. Okay, good. That was the that was the reason that we said yesterday. We're going to add another source for this uh, that and a and a parable that really nails it down. Same attribution as the previous statement, and so it makes sense. He's adding to it. Which is really interesting. It says, "I am Hashem. I love justice. You know what I hate? I hate robbery." When it comes to a burnt offering, there's a strange pasuk. It could have just said, gazel. God says, I hate robbery of any kind. But yet it adds a word, I hate when people rob an animal and then offer it to me as a burnt offering. So what's this about? Why does it add a burnt offering specifically? Is it only that? If you steal something else, it's okay? So the answer is that, no, it means even a burnt offering. Where a burnt offering, the robber gets no personal benefit from it. He can't, he doesn't eat any part of it. Nobody eats any part of it. So the robber might think, look, I'm giving the whole thing to God, right? And I got no benefit. So God will surely like that. God says, no, I hate robbery. I don't want gifts at all. And I certainly don't want a gift that you stole. That's not a, that's not a, a, a happy gift for me because I love justice. So what's the mashal? So you have a king, um, a human king, and he's going to the customs house, figure like a toll booth. And he tells his servants, pay the toll, pay the customs official. So, and as we go through. So the servants say, what do you mean? All the taxes just goes to you. You're the king. You own everything. So you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay the toll. You're just going to get, you're just going to get it back and put it back in your pocket. So you should go free. No, I want to do it as a, to show that everybody else that they should not try to get out of the paying the customs. Even I, the king, pay it. And so too, I want to be an example that everybody else will pay it too. So God says, even though everything in the world belongs to me, uh, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, if you're giving an Olah, there's no such thing as stealing it because it all belonged to him in the first place. Nevertheless, Hashem says, I want to, I'm, I'm going to specifically reject an Olah because I want to set an example. Yes, I own everything, but you don't own everything. And therefore, if you steal something from somebody else, then you're doing a terrible thing. Uh, so, you know, to bring a modern example, someone owns a store. And so he owns everything in the store. If he wants to, uh, you know, take a, a drink from his grocery store. So he doesn't have to pay for it. He could just take it. Nobody says, no, I'm going to take money out of my pocket, put it in the cash register and pay for it. Even though at the end of the day, the cash is all, everything in the cash register is going to go back into my pocket. I want to set an example. They don't just take things. They don't shoplift. I want all the other workers. I want all the other shoppers to show and learn from that. Okay, so that's another reason behind the law of uh, that you can't do a mitzvah through a transgression. Um, another statement supporting everything we just said. Why can you not bring a, a, a dried out lulav? Because it's not beautiful. And that applies all the days. And a stolen lulav is no good because 
you came to it through a transgression. And that also applies all the time, all seven days. So if you do it, if you take a stone love on the first day, you have two problems of lachem and, and this, but all seven days, this applies. Okay, good. All that was one opinion that the Mishnah that says, Olav HaGazul HaYavesh applies all seven days, the first day when it's Doraita and the rest of the days when it's Rabbanan and you don't have Ukachtem Lachem, all the days it applies. Now we're going to see a second opinion. And it says the Mishnah only applies on the first day. He says, we only learn this Mishnah, it's only true on the first day of Yom Tov, the first day of the holiday. But on the second day of the holiday, when it says here, Yom Tov Sheni, when we say that term, we usually we think of Yom Tov Sheni Shal Galuyot, outside of Israel, and the second day is also Yom Tov. But it doesn't mean that here. Here it means the second day of the holiday, which in Israel would be Chol HaMoed. They're still calling it the second day, of, of the Yom Tov, of what, we, what started off as Yom Tov. Okay, so the second day of the holiday, um, when even though it's Midir Abanan now, and uh, you can, everyone agrees that you can take a borrowed Lulav, uh, not a stolen one, but I can borrow your Lulav and it'll be okay. On the first day, I can't borrow your Lulav. If you have a Lulav and I don't have one, and I want to fulfill my mitzvah, you have to give it to me as a gift, and then I'll give it back to you as a gift. That's permitted. Um, but, uh, but, but not, not borrowed if it's still, if it's actually yours, but on the second day to the sixth day, I can borrow yours. It stays in your ownership. I'm just using it. That's permitted. So he says, just like you can use something that's Shaul, you can also use Gazul. Basically, he doesn't have a problem of mitzvah ba'avera. He doesn't think that that's an issue here. He only has a problem of lachem that you have to own it. And that owning it only applies on the first day and not any of the other days. Okay, amazing. That's what Yitzchak says. Now, we have a challenge to him. Now, he's quoting our Mishnah that says, Lava Gazul and Yavesh are both no good. So I can make a, an inference. If the, I assume the Mishnah is going to give the biggest chidush, the thing that's, that you have to know the most. So if the Mishnah says that uh, stolen lulav is no good, then that means if it's only borrowed, that's better, right? Better borrowed than stolen. So stolen something stolen is much more stringent. So if the Mishnah says something, something stolen is no good, that means if I borrowed it, it would be good. So now we can, uh, based on that inference, we can ask, emat. When, what day are you talking about? If the Mishnah is talking about the first day, but the first day, that wouldn't be true because the Pasuk says it has to be yours and the high lavdi deu. And this, if I borrowed it, then it's not mine. So the Mishnah cannot be talking about all the, the first day because um, then it would have to say, Lulav has Sha'ul is Pasul. But it doesn't. It only says Gazul, which applies, implies we're looking for a day when borrowing is okay, but stealing is not. Rather, the Mishnah must be talking about not the first day, but the second through the sixth days, through, six, through the sixth day. And on those days, and the inference is true. If I borrow it, borrow it, it's okay. And, and so on that day, specifically, the Mishnah says stolen is no good. So he just proved them that the Mishnah has to be like the reading we saw before in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that all seven days, Stolen, a stolen love is no good. 
and not just uh, and not just the first day. So this is a good challenge to the to the Yitzchak. How is he going to answer it? Changes that our expectation. We thought that stealing something is definitely going to be worse than borrowing it. But this is not necessarily because um, Shaul, if I borrow something, it's for sure not mine. Definitely not mine. We all agree. I just borrowed it. But if I steal something from you and you give up uh, on finding it, then the ownership of the item actually transfers to me. There is a mechanism for me to acquire something that I stole once you, once you despair of finding it. So I might think that, um, so, so therefore, the, the, the Mishnah says, not only Shaul doesn't even have to tell us that a borrowed one is no good. It's really talking about the first day when borrowing um, is not good. And not only that, even you might've thought that something stolen is okay because I stole it and he didn't see me and there's no way he's gonna find me. And therefore trans- ownership transfers over to me Nevertheless, Mishnah says even Gazul is no good, and certainly Shaul. Okay, so really interesting logic there, um, where there's such a possibility that borrowing wouldn't be good, but stealing uh, would be okay. Not the stealing part. Again, of course, you're violating a, a prohibition of stealing, but um, a question is, since it's now mine, may you might have thought I could fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, so now we have, that's the two opinions of the uh, uh, um, interpretation of the Mishnah, either saying that a gazul is no good all seven days, or maybe only the first day. So that closes the top, that topic of interpretation of the Mishnah. And now we get to this uh, source that's about ethical sourcing, right? And we're talking about lulavim that you're going to buy, and you have a suspicion that they came from stolen land. Um, you know, you buy a, a Prada bag on the street. And so let's say you're not sure, is it for sure stolen? You don't know for sure. Maybe it is. How much do you have to investigate to, to, to see whether it's stolen or not? Is it okay to buy it if you know for sure it's stolen? So we're going to apply this to the love. Ravuna went to these merchants. These are Jewish merchants. They're middlemen. They're buying lulavim from farmers, non-Jewish farmers, and they're selling them to Jews. And Rav Huna is giving them the following advice. Listen, when you go and buy the myrtle, the Hadassim branches from these uh, non-Jewish farmers, you shouldn't be the one to cut them, right? Don't do the labor and go out and say, oh, I'll, I'll cut them. Rather, let, the, let them do the cutting and, uh, and give it to you. Okay, why? Why? How is that better if they do the cutting and give it to you? My tama. Stam goyim gazlane ara'ata ninhu. We have to assume that in general, these uh, goyim who are selling uh, selling the myrtles stole the land. They're on stolen land. It did happen in certain times in, um, in history that officials of the Roman Empire uh, would steal land from Jews. This happened before the destruction of Beit HaMikdash. And so, um, uh, so it's not for sure that they stole it, but we can assume a lot of this land was stolen originally from someone else. So this guy, this non-Jewish farmer who's selling you the myrtles, they might be stolen goods. So this is not good. Um, so how are we going to solve this? Here's a problem. 
land cannot be stolen. What does that mean land cannot be stolen? It can't have the status of something stolen. Whereas something movable, I take it, I steal it from you, I grab it out of your hands. Now it's in my possession. So if it's in my possession and then I take it away and you give up on finding it. So then that it's possible for the ownership to, tra to, to um, transfer to me. Land, however, I can't grab onto land. So even if I go and I sit on the land and I use it and harvest it and you can't do anything about it. And even if this, this goes on for a while, nevertheless, um, that the, the land never actually transfers ownership. So there's no way to transfer ownership of land. And even if the uh, owner, the original owner has Yehush, says, I'm never going to get this land back. These, uh, this Roman thug, he's, uh, he's never, I'm never going to be able to take him to court. Nevertheless, even if, there's, if there is Yehush, the land does not transfer ownership. So that's, that's good in a way that you can always go and get your land back, but it's bad in terms of the law of Lulav HaGazul, because in order for the Lulav to be usable and for a mitzvah, there has to be some case where the owner gave up, gave up, had Yehush, and now the stolen property becomes property of the person who's going to sell it to me uh, in turn. So therefore, since Karka is not, is not stolen, if the merchant would go and cut, cut it directly from off of the land, now the land is stolen property. And even though he's taking it, so this, it didn't, um, it can't have Yeush while it's attached to the ground. So we want to add another step. Hilkach. inhu Therefore, this is the way you should do it. Let the non-Jew cut it off the branch, the, cut, cut it off the field. Now, now, now that it's cut off the field, it's a movable item. So while the non-Jew has it, it's a movable thing. He stole it, but the original owner, he knows he's never going to get the land back and he's never going to get the myrtles back either. So now that they're movable, he will have Yeush. According to this opinion, however, Yeush is not enough to transfer ownership. You need, a, some, you need something else. Yeush and some kind of change one type of change that works is a change of hands. So since the non-Jew uh, has it, he's the one that cut it, and the owner had Yeush, and now the non-Jew takes it, transfers it to the merchant. So that through that Yeush plus transfer of hands, that will effectuate um, a, a legal change in the status of ownership. And now it's in the possession and ownership of the merchant, and the owner no longer has possession of it, when I go and buy, when I go and buy it from the merchant, now I can use it for a mitzvah. So that's his that's his uh, uh, that's his um, advice. Whereas if the merchant would do both, the merchant would take it and um, and transfer it. Well, that's we're going to see that in a second. So sof sof ki gazezu avant kiri leveye ush pealim bidaihu veshinuare should be adan. Now the gemara asks a question on Rav Huna's advice. Why do you need all that all to do all that? If the middleman, that Jewish middleman, if he goes and cuts the myrtle, so he's holding on to the myrtle, he basically stole it, uh, which is bad for him. But um, now the owner has Yehush. We assume the owner uh, gives up because right, some, some Roman thug took his, took his land. So there is Yehush. And now when the merchant transfers it to your hands, when you buy it, so you have a, tra a, a change of hands. So now you have the two things that you need, Yehush and a change of hands. So really, you don't need Rabunah's advice. You don't have to bother the non-Jews that they should be the ones to cut it down. I mean, maybe it'd be better in terms of stealing that they're the ones that are stealing it, not the merchant. 
But in terms of you, the buyer, fulfilling your mitzvah, it's equally good. So we answer, Rav was giving the advice, not for the benefit of the buyers, but for the benefit of the middlemen themselves, because they also need a lulav set that they're going to use, they're Jewish merchants. So he says, for yours that you're going to take home, make sure that first the non-Jew cuts it, that way it'll be in his hands as a movable item upon which Yeush can apply. And then the non-Jew will give it over to your hands and then you have a transfer of, of, uh, of uh, possession and that transfer of possession will then change the ownership status. And that way you, the merchant, can go and take it home and use it for lulav. That's what Avon I was talking about. Okay, good. So now we understand that. Now, just a couple of other questions about that advice. There are other ways that they could have done it. Why do you have to, again, why bother the merchant that the merchant has to go and cut it all? Why not let the non-Jew cut it and uh, give it to the, uh, give it to the, uh, um, sorry, let the merchant cut it down and the merchant will have it for himself. And you know what the merchant can do to acquire it? Because he has to do some kind of action, some kind of change. Well, he can do something to the myrtle branch itself. For example, tie it up, uh, right? You know how we have a lulav and we take all the lulav and the two types of branches and we put a tie around them because we want to hold it together. So there you go. By doing something with it, that, uh, that, uh, that affects the change. Just like if I steal wood and I make furniture out of it. So if you have yeush and I change something about the thing that I stole, then it becomes mine. Or if I steal uh, grain from you and I make bread out of it, and then you come back, you come and find me. And says, oh, give me, give me that bread. That's my grain. I could tell you, no, I changed the item already. I'll pay you for the grain, but I don't have to give it back. I don't have to give the actual grain back to you. Now it's my, I acquired it. So, so to here, by taking that, that uh, myrtle branch, um, uh, the, the, the merchant himself can do the cutting, take it home. By tying it, he's making a change. So isn't that good enough? Why does he have to go through the extra step of making the non-Jew cut it down? The answer is, Maybe Rav Huna thought that Lulav does not need, need to be tied, uh, not, not need, does not need to be bound. And therefore, maybe I'll bind it for convenience sake, but binding it is not changing anything of its status. Um, it's interesting that in this halakha, um, uh, changing its legal status, its halakhic status, because now be, it becomes, according to the one who says, you do need eged, you do need to tie it, um, taking something that wasn't usable as a, as a hadas and now making it usable as hadas and lulav. And that change of legal status is similar to a physical change in status, like baking those grains. Um, okay, but Ravuna maybe he thinks that it doesn't need uh, uh, to, to be bound, and therefore I'm not really affecting any halachic change to it, so I'm not acquiring it. Or, or even if you think that, according to Ravuna, I do need a, a tie, that's not enough of a change. It's not like grain where I'm, I'm, I'm mashing it, I'm uh, uh, grinding it and baking it. Here, I'm tying it up. I could just undo the tie and still the same hadas, still the same myrtle branch. So I didn't really change anything and therefore it does not effectuate um, a change in its legal status. That's not considered a change and I will not acquire it. Okay, a last question. Another way to make a change in something and thereby acquire it after I stole it is by a change in its name. And when it's attached to the, to the tree, it's called an asa, just a myrtle branch. 
But now that I take it and I join it together and I'm, I'm going to use, use it for a mitzvah, it's called a hoshana. We don't usually call that anymore, but this was uh, ancient. And we, now we just call it lulav, even though we're talking about all the species. But since we take the lulav and its rog, while we're saying hoshana, so in the Tal- in Talmudic times, they used to call uh, the myrtle branch itself a hoshana. So you see, there's a change in its status because it has a new name. And a new name can effectuate a change in status that leads to a change in, in, being, in, in its legal uh, possessions. Now it's mine and it's, uh, I can use it. Uh, the answer is no. The truth is that people will call it Hoshana even while it's on the tree. Oh, so look at that, that beautiful, beautiful Hoshanot. Let me cut some and take them. And therefore, since these other types of changes aren't really practical, don't really work, that's why Ravuna told the merchants that you, the only um, real change that you can make is a change in hands. In order to have a change in hands, you have to make sure that it's the non-Jewish farmer that does the cutting, and at which point there'll be yeush because now it's movable, and then he will transfer the possession over to the merchant, and that transfer possession changes the ownership, and now the merchant actually owns it, um, and he can take it home and fulfill the mitzvah. Uh, so this is an interesting source that might be, might be applicable uh, to uh, something to stolen goods. It would mean that for sure, if you know something is stolen for sure, this Prada bag, you can't buy it. But uh, how far do you have to go to, uh, to uh, how many steps do you have to go to check um, the, the source and the source of the source? If there's some doubt, at least according to this source, I'm not saying but according to this source, at least, it seems that it would be, be, be permitted to buy um, if it's only a case of doubt. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.